Hi, this is Allison Sheridan with the NoSillaCast podcast, hosted at PodFeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, January 20th, 2019, and this is show number 715. We've got a big, big show ready for today. We've got interviews from CES with Ampere about a really cool charger for your iPhone, a dash cam from Owl Camera, a long interview with the CEO of one of our favorite companies, Otherworld Computing, and a nifty alarm clock company you've actually heard about before called Sandman. We've also got an interview about something called Mycroft AI. It's an open source digital assistant, and the interview is followed by my story of, of how I actually made my own Mycroft AI. Lots of super geeky fun to be had. Now, last week, I forgot to say something really important about the CES interviews you're going to be hearing over the coming weeks. Every single one of these audio interviews you're hearing is also a video interview. Steve has been working his little editing fingers to the bone, producing the videos as blog posts so you can see the products that we're demonstrating. He not only produces the videos and writes the blog posts with all of the links, he also exports the audio files for you to be able to hear them on the podcast. I want to thank him yet again for the work he does here for these videos. You can find them on podfeet.com by clicking on videos in the main screen, and then they're also listed among the blog posts if you click on blog posts, and I put links to his blog posts in the relevant post for the NoSillaCast. You can't miss them, so go watch them. They're amazing. So uh, yeah, go watch them. Well, there wasn't a chit-chat across the pond this week, but it wasn't actually intentional. As I sat down to write up, who did I talk to this week, I realized... I didn't talk to anybody. I think I got confused because Bart and I did the last episode on Sunday, so I thought I'd already done one. The good news is I have booked a guest for next week, and next week is actually when Bart is on too, so it all balances out. You'll find your entertainment. Let's start off with a company called Sandman. Now, I gush a lot during this interview because the gentleman we're interviewing actually gave us a review unit years ago, and it is Steve's all-time favorite alarm clock. I know that sounds like a silly thing to be excited about, but he really, really loves this alarm clock. We even did a review of it uh, back uh, when we talked about it, and I put a link to that in the show notes, but let's listen to the interview from this year's CES. years ago, I think it was, Alex Trammell of Palo Alto Innovations sent us a, uh, a a clock called the Sandman that we did a review on. It is Steve's favorite clock, and we're here to talk to him again because he's come up with some new uh, enhancements. You wouldn't think a clock was interesting, but these clocks are really cool. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So yeah, the Sandman clock is great. Uh, I actually use one very similar to yours still, a beta unit, but uh, we have the Sandman Doppler here today, which is the big, fancy, all the buzzwords feature or, you know, I should say sibling brother of the original Sandman. Well, say smart assistant to me. Uh, smart, absolutely. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's got Wi-Fi. It's got Bluetooth. Of course it has to have Alexa built in. Oh, right, I probably right, shouldn't right. have said that. Oh, I Sorry. don't care. Say it as... A-L-E-X-A. A-Lady. Sure. I actually like that. So right now it's muted, but the A-Lady does work. It is kind of loud in here, but it does work in here. We have a fancy DSP with two microphones. So you can mute it so it's not listening in the bedroom. So uh, let me just unmute it here. Let me describe what this looks like. It's got a great big display on the front uh, with a giant clock and then it's got a bunch of controls across the top that are lit up. They seem to be changing colors on us. Yeah, so the backlit, uh, the buttons are backlit and depending on if you're in a menu, so for example, if I hold down this middle button here, it's going to go into color setup mode and you'll see that in color setup mode, Green is confirm and yellow is to adjust. So I can adjust the brightness or I can adjust the color. As you can see, let's go ahead and go to a nice teal. 
And let's oh, he's changing green. the color of the clock. I yeah. see. And you'll also notice that the buttons change color as well. Oh, now uh, the, oh, they changed to teal. That's cool. You like teal? Now, what if I can't see? Can I still use these buttons? Absolutely, because there are two uh, little nibs on here. Which they call those high dots? High dots, exactly. And the high dots are so you can tell where you are in the snooze button. So this entire thing is actually the snooze button, and it's also the media controls for volume up, volume down, play, pause, okay. all that sort of stuff. So you'd still need to know that play, pause was in the middle. Play, pause in the middle. You have high dots on either side. But high dots on either side to show you where they are. Okay. Correct. Correct. Right. We have a couple other features on the top here. We have two quick access buttons, which are customizable. So you hit the button, and it can trigger an action, whether it be something with if this, then that, which is a service. You could have it you know, turn on your lights or open your garage door or lock your house, whatever you'd like. It's completely customizable just by hitting that button. You do have alarms if obviously you want to use your alarm clock for alarms if you don't want to use your phone. This is a light sensor back here, so it will auto-dim at night, just like the original Sandman. Believe it or not, that is the best feature. 100%. That is, uh, auto-dimming, you know, you want a clock, but you don't want it glaring in your face. Exactly. But you want to be able to see it during the daytime. Right. So, you, you, you know, you're waking up groggy with or without your glasses and all. Yeah, I know what time it is. I don't have to open up my phone and tap it and have it blind you. And all of a sudden, I'm on Twitter. Yeah, now exactly. I'm wide Yeah, well, that's a different issue. Uh, on the back of this clock, there's six USB ports. Oh, wow. This one is uh, three type A and three type C. Oh, fantastic. We also have three type A versions. Um, and this hole back here is a bass port because this thing actually has some really good speakers. Oh, it sounds really, really nice. So, yeah, it's got the A-Lady. As we, as you, you nicely called it, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth speakers. Like I said, every buzzword under the sun comes in. Uh, Going to be three colors: black, gray, and blue. Okay. Coming in the summer of 2019, retailing for 149.99. That looks fantastic. By the way, I've got to give credit to Joe Deganzik of Smarter Home Life for coining the A Lady. Okay. A way I'll to take call that. Her. <laughs> I like that A Lady. I'll use that. All right. If so, if people want to find out more about the Sandman or the Sandman uh, well, Doppler. The Doppler, Doppler, where would they go? sandmanclocks.com sandmandoppler.com or Palo Alto Innovation whichever one you like you get all the info or just hit it in Google alright thank you very much Alex thank you well, we've been chatting about this whole idea of an alarm clock in the live chat room while I'm recording the show, and a lot of people were saying they don't actually use an alarm clock because they've got a good internal alarm, and I realized that Steve and I don't actually use the Sandman for its alarm. The main feature that's really cool is it's got a giant display, so you can see the, see it at night and during the day across the room, but it also automatically fades at night so that it's not blindingly bright. So that's one of the biggest features, and the fact that it has all those USB ports. The Sandman... Uh, Doppler has even more USB ports and USB-C ports and A-Lady. Oh man, these guys are doing everything right. Now sit back and enjoy my rather long conversation with Otherworld Computing. I gotta tell you, I was having so much fun this interview. Steve actually gave me the hook at the end. If he hadn't, I guess I'd probably still be talking to Larry O'Connor. So anyway, let's listen in now. What better way to start out uh, CES interviews than going straight th to the OWC booth and meeting up with Larry O'Connor, the CEO of OWC. How are you doing, Larry? Doing great, doing great. And uh, it is a great first interview. Good to see you again. <laughs> well, it's good to, to have your first voice, right? You're all energetic and bright-eyed right now. That's true. That's true. Come back in a couple hours. You're still going to be this way. Yeah, we'll see you a day after tomorrow. Uh, all right, so what do you have to show us this year? You know, we're starting with the simple stuff. You know, these are... Uh, we call this the Klingon. I mean, it's a very 
you know, it's, it's, it looks very, very simple. As you probably are wondering what this is for, but people have experienced disconnects with Type C. You know, cables get bumped, they get tugged on. And in production environments, you know, that's kind of a problem. You know, this is a device you don't have to have anything special to, uh, to, to attach it to, to screw it in with. This will go on any Type C drive, even on the back of a lot of Type C systems, and lets you stabilize the cable so that if somebody gives it a bump, gives it a tug, you don't have a disconnect and, and lose what you're transferring. So very, very simple solution. It goes on the back of anything with Type-C, and it keeps that cable from wiggling from disconnecting. So, For the audio-only listeners, we're looking at a little tiny device. It's blue. It's uh, maybe half an inch, three-quarters of an inch long and a half an inch wide that you stick to the back of a drive, and then the USB-C connector stays in there tighter? Correct. And you can still, now, this is not locking your cable in either. It's not a special cable. It uses any standard Type C cable, and it also lets you, you know, disconnect the cable as well. Now we didn't hear this, so this is not a perfect demo, but nonetheless, you, know, you have the benefit of having stabilization of your cable, and you can still remove and uh, swap cables at will as well. So is so, it basically just adding some friction to the to the connection? Is that all that is? It's some rubber in there. Yeah, it's got a little bit of rubber. How do I say it again? It, it very easy attaches to anything, but yeah, effectively it gives you that. I mean, here without it. You know, you get a little bit of, you have play. I mean, that's, there's nothing you can do about that. That is the port. That's not the device. You know, when you add this to it, now you have it in this nice, kind of this nice jacket for all practical purposes. Now it's on the back, and I mean, it does not have that play. Now it's stable. And you call that device the Klingon? We call it the Klingon. You know, we're kind of out of this world inspired, so I mean, it's, it was kind of a... A clever play on uh, words. So. I like it. I like it. Okay, now getting into some more serious stuff. Everybody's got USB Type-C now, and they want to have... Uh, oh, I was going to go to Travel Docs, but go ahead with this. What is this? I was going to say, this is the production. This is our uh, Thunder Thunderblade V4. This is super high-speed storage, up to 8 terabytes. You know, we're, we introduced uh, Generation 2 this year. Generation 2 you know, still gives you all the performance, gives you all that, that fast uh, video editing capability, fast ingest, fast duplication capability. Plus, it runs you know, substantially cooler. Generation 2 now, you can even stack them, and they stay running cool. So it's yeah. faster. For the audio-only listeners, this basically looks like he's holding a heat sink. I don't believe there's really a drive in there. <laughs> it's a bunch of blades. Yes, it's all flash, up to 8 terabytes. It's now about 30 33% lower cost than it was a year ago. So it's for somebody who needs performance, somebody who needs, whether you're doing live editing or you're just doing ingest, you need to do duplication really quick so you can get those files on their way. You know, this is the product that plugs, plays, and, and runs it all. That's the whole promise of uh, Thunderbolt 3, right? It's the promise of Thunderbolt 3, up to about 2,500 megabytes a second sustained. Oh, my gosh. You're making that number up. I'm not making that number up. It'll burst to 2.8 gigabytes a second, so very, very, very fast. You know, very, very fast. And then, of course, you know, the products that you know, let you do all your work you know, when you're on the road, you know, like our travel dock. You know, it works with the iPad Pro. It works with any MacBook Pro, MacBook, Chromebook, you know, PCs with Type-C. And that gives you a couple USB ports. It gives you uh, HDMI 4K video out. And I think something's really, really important, in addition to the fact you have an SD reader as well, it lets you plug your power through it. There's lots of there's lots of products out there that call themselves docks that really aren't docks. And they're not docks because they're not power delivery enabled. So when you need to charge your laptop, you can't use the port that your that your hub's plugged into. With the with our travel dock, you know, you can plug in through that. That is this is a true power delivery enhanced enabled dock. So you can plug power through and you can charge your book, power your books, you know, while using all the ports. You don't have to disconnect it when you need the charge. And that's a big difference between a dock and a hub. 
or a hub that causes I always wondered what the definition between the two was, because they get used interchangeably quite a bit. Yes, they do. You know, hubs are pretty dumb. Docks, actually, in the case of power delivery-enabled dock, it actually knows what power is... actually communicates with the computer, you know, what power is being drawn by the different ports, what the devices are, so the system intelligently is aware of what's going on. Now, I, I hear a lot of people whining about having to have all these dongles and everything, but to me, this is magical that I've got, got a, a USB Type-C port on a, a MacBook Pro, and all of a sudden I've got HDMI out, I've got an SD card reader, I've got H, uh, US, two USB-A ports, and power to charge the thing at the same time. I mean, that's, that's amazing. You couldn't do that before. It's unbe- unbeatable. It takes one port, add all these ports, and you can charge two. And you can take it from your MacBook Pro to your MacBook, to your MacBook Air, to your iPad. You're ready to go. And t- they need to get the phone in the in the game. Then we're all set, right? Yeah, and that's coming. But for under fifty bucks, you know, it gives you for on the go, it gives you all the ports you need. Now, when you get back to the office, get back. Uh, to let your me tell house. them real quick oh, sure. to the audio listeners. This this uh, box is only about a half an inch thick, three quarters maybe, and I mean smaller than a deck of cards. And it's really really light, so that'd be really easy to toss in your bag. Yep, and it's under fifty dollars, and there is nothing in that price range. How much did you say? Under fifty dollars, actually. Under fifty dollars. Yeah, street price typically around thirty-nine, and there's nothing in that price range that supports that true power delivery, which is very, very important. There's I'm not- glad you uh, said that three times because I kept hearing a hundred and fifty, under oh, fifty, under so I'm glad- fifty, under fifty. You know what? If even for hundred fifty. I tell you, there are products. There are products that cost about that. They don't do what this does, but under fifty bucks, thirty nine dollars street. You know, this is great for being on the road. And then when you get back, though, but get back to the house, get back to the office, get back to you know, a place where you kind of you got your whole setup going. You know, we have our ten port docks, which include you know their own external power. Sorry, I pulled the mic away from him. There, We're holding, up. holding it up now. Sure, this is our ten port dock. This is Type C. You know, this gives up to sixty watts to any laptop to an iPad Pro, to a Chromebook, anything, again, with Type-C. So this will, power, this will give you power and charge and run your system. And then for a little more heavy, and this is up to 10 gigabits, about 1 gigabyte per second sustained transfer throughout all the ports combined is what it supports. I'm turning around to see the other port. Oh, look, there's a, uh, what was that called again? A Klingon. A Klingon on the back. All right, so it's got three uh, USB-A ports. We've got a Type-C. Is that that's display? Uh, display on that one. Oh, it's got uh, Display Port also. Yes, it All includes right. you know the uh, an SD card on the front and uh, right. headphone jack and another USB-A. Gives you everything. So you get home, one cable, plugs in. I mean, for power, for audio, for USB devices, for your video, your network. Everything is all right there. And it comes with an HDMI adapter, but for folks that have mini display ports, you know, Apple uh, Cinema Displays and such, plugs in direct native. And we are, and this is, I don't want to go super technical, but we're DP++, whether it's on our uh, USB Type-C dock or our Thunderbolt docks. And what that simply means is you don't need an active adapter if you want to connect to HDMI or oh, DVI yeah, yeah, yeah. or VGA or, of course, Apple's mini display port. It does the work inside. It's, it's, it's already got that capability versus being a dumb display port. I don't mean I needed that a couple of years ago to exist. We've always done it that way because in the Apple space, I mean, people expect that. You've had display ports on Macs for almost, well, for a decade until Apple... And those displays never die, ever. They last forever, the Apple displays. Right, they never died and all... You figure out what to do with them. Right, you just keep on using them. 
But the ports, the adapters that everybody got with those machines were passive because all you had to do is, if, you know, you wanted to plug a VGA, DVI, HDMI, whatever it was, it was a very, just a passive case because the system was doing all the work. And, of course, we maintain that. So, you don't, number one, you don't have to worry about copyright issues. You know, all the, how to say, the, the encoding is, is passed right through because the chip's doing the work. You're not doing an active conversion, which, and again, I'm going way into the weeds, but... We like the weeds on my show. Awesome. Those don't work for... Well, yeah, what's the price on this one? This guy's street is 119 119 wow. 119 and that, so, includes, that includes a 60-watt power supply, actually a 100-watt power supply that will give your computer 60 watts. So, so here's a question I always get tangled on. So I use a MacBook Pro. It's got an 85-watt power supply. I can sure. still use the 60-watt. It just takes longer, right? Absolutely positive. Correct. The short answer is yes. You don't need to have an 85-watt out to charge. Just Your computer can take 85 watts, but it's happy with 60 as well. I Just on a lark, I tried charging my MacBook Pro using the charger that came with my new iPad Pro, and it worked. It took all night, but it worked. That's a lot. Yeah, that, that's like you know, 25, 20, 25 watts somewhere right. in there. Much, much slower than this even. Sure. So, and what is, so you've got two docks here. So what is this one called? It's just our USB-C dock. I mean, that's it's our okay. OWC USB 10-port dock. I mean, we try to keep things simple. I mean, that's, that's what it does. It gives you 10 ports of great connectivity. One cable connects you 10 ports of the world. Okay, and but have, this is not a Thunderbolt dock. No, but this one is. Ah. Well, look at me just being your straight man here. Straight woman. As we move right on, yes, down the line, you you lead me right on. I like it. This is our 14 port dock. You know, this is Thunderbolt three, so you take full advantage, get the full advantage of the 40 gigabits that Thunderbolt three offers. So it's got Type C ports. You know, for 10 gigabits, it's got the back. You of course have your network ports. You have video. You've got. I mean, it, you've got it all. Quite frankly, digital, it's got digital audio. audio. Yeah. Did I miss Ethernet? Did I miss, uh, how to say, a second Thunderbolt 3 port? A mini display port with DP++ again, so you can support everything, you know, very natively, very reliably. I, I, I missed it. Is that uh, 10 gigabit Ethernet or gigabit? This is this is gigabit Ethernet. You know, 10G, we have... I, I don't know who's got 10 gigabit anyway, but I just wondered. It's funny you should ask. You know, we just acquired Akitio. And the Akitio Pro Dock has a, a 10G Ethernet port. So I saw that announcement. That's interesting. You know, it, it fills in. I mean, it's a real complimentary, how do I say, uh, coming together. Oh, yep. good, good. So we're very, very excited to, uh, how do I say, to integrate those products into our line and, quite frankly, come up with even better creations. Now, I've been reviewing uh, uh, docks. I haven't reviewed your Thunderbolt 3 dock. Uh, but what is... Uh, I think we should. Um, the thing I found interesting was the ones I liked the best were the ones that had the most USB-A, USB-A ports. Because at this instant in time, I have so many USB-A devices. But I have a feeling over time I'm going to be spitting on those and wanting the ones that have more USB-C, probably. Well, the Type-C's, we get in the uh, the Gen 1, I'm sorry, the Gen 2 Type-C products where you get faster performance. The connector's nicer. The only goes in, you know, it actually goes in one way, you know, both ways. I love that. You can't go wrong that way. The only problem with it is you have to look in the end of it to find out if it's lightning or USB-C still. Yeah, it is kind of, if you have Apple, if you have the iPhones and things, it can, there is a little bit of similarity there. Again, back to we need to get it off the iPhone, then everybody be happy, right? Yeah, well, we're pricey Type-C in the iPhones, you know, come this fall, so. That's what they're saying, huh? It's crazy. I mean, man, why don't they just start similar to there? But I bet the spec wasn't ratified when they started, right? It wasn't, but it's been around for a couple. Well, I'm not going to go to Apple. Say, so just we went from the dock connector to Lightning, and now we have a whole new. If we were running Apple, right? Indeed, indeed. All right, so this is the Thunderbolt three dock, and what is Correct. this? Uh, oh, it's also got we didn't say SD card and micro SD on the front for your GoPros. Correct, and that's all UHS four, so very very fast readers as well. UHS four. Oh, okay, the speed. Yeah, the the, the high speed readers. I mean, you're getting the you're, you're getting you know five six hundred. I'm sorry, four five hundred megabytes a second. It'll do from a uh, capable card, and this guy's eighty five watts, so. 
your full power on a MacBook Pro or any system that needs that extra juice. So if you want to have fast charging, that's really important. I mean, this covers that as well. And food for thought, I mean, most people that use docks, you come in, you plug your computer in, and then you're working. I mean, it's going to be there overnight. It's going to be there for a while. You're home. I mean, few people come in. I mean, it, it was interesting. Our previous dock only had the 60 watts, but it was something else. So certain people would get all up, oh, my gosh, there's only 60 watts. It's like... Are you coming in? You got to have that fast charge for an hour, and then you're running right back out the door. Probably not. Yeah, I don't think I've ever done that. Yeah, you've been on the road. You're coming in. You're plugging in. Now you're at home base. You're, you're, you're going to be there for a little while. You, I mean, unless you were told, unless you thought about it in time, that you never would have known the difference. Yeah, yeah, I bet not. Absolutely. But we're no. having to bring 85 out, and just to make it very, very clear, the reason our original docks were 60 watt, you know, the power delivery spec only supported 60 watt initially. Oh, you know, okay. There was not ratification support for above 60 watt that Apple would approve. Oh, I did not know that. Okay, so what's it ratified up to now? Now we're 85 watts. Well, well technically 100 oh, okay. watts. Okay. Well, I need 85 watts now. And we got it for you, and we got it. You got it all. We feel the power. And the uh, the USB Type C part, uh, the US, I'll get it yet. Type C port on the front is USB C 3.1. Is that what that says? Yeah, 3.1 Gen 2s. You get the full 10 gigabits out of it. And of course, you get uh, 15 watts. All uh, Thunderbolt 3 ports, all USB uh, Gen 2, uh, 3.1 Gen 2 ports put out the full 15 watts. So you can fully bus power wherever you're going to plug into there. And that's very, very important. And something else about, you talk about a lot of USB Type A ports and USB ports in general, you got to have the bandwidth for them. And we make sure all these ports have plenty of bandwidth. And we brought a th- going all the way back to our Thunderbolt 2 dock, that was a differentiator. You know, people put lots of ports on them, but then when you try to kind of, you know, put them all together, you need to actually access simultaneously, you find out that there's not enough bandwidth there. Oh, okay. You can do okay. live video streams across all these simultaneously. You can max out, you know, drive performance, or you can use that. Thunderbolt gives us 40 gigabits, and we make sure that 40 gigabits is wherever you need it on our dock. So, um, the last, sorry, oh, the, um... That was a, the last question I want to ask you was how much is that going to cost? This guy is two ninety nine. So, okay, so the, the standard price that Thunderbolt three docks are coming in at, right? Yeah, that, that's the, this, that's about the standard price point. You're right, but there's nothing out there that this this sleek and with this many ports in that price range. I mean, it's this is priced really, really sweet for uh, what it does. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much for your time, Larry. I really enjoyed this. Uh, I'm getting the uh, I'm getting the the news here from Steve. So, uh, <laughs> tell people where they can find for the three people who don't know where OWC is. Uh, where can they find you? They can visit us now at OWC.com and learn about what? everything. So, we got MaxSales.com, and of course, you want to learn about all the brands, everything we've got coming together, our new products, the different softwares, all the cool stuff. OWC.com is is the hub for everything now. Or stop by when you're at MaxDoc, right? Or stop by MaxDoc, for sure. We're, we're, we're seeing you this summer. All right. Thanks a lot. You're very welcome. Well, I have to say, I'm having so much fun now when I review products, like the upcoming Raspberry Pi conversation I'm going to give you. And it's because I know I can put in Amazon affiliate links to help you more easily find these products. It's fun because now, if you're in the UK, Germany, or Canada, you too can use these links and be immediately taken to your country's Amazon store. Unless that product doesn't exist in your country store, and then I don't know what happens. Anyway, there's no faffing about to find the product, and if you do purchase the product, a small percentage of your purchase goes to help the podcast, even if you're from one of those countries as well as the the United States. And it doesn't cost you a dime to do this. I really appreciate everyone who does this and uses these links. It does make a significant difference. Now let's hear the interview about that open source digital assistant I mentioned at the beginning. 
Well, we all know about the smart assistants from the big three and four, uh, but there's an open source alternative coming out here from a company called Mycroft AI. Right. And I'm here with Eric Jurgensen to tell us about it. Yeah, so I'm Eric. I'm VP of Business Development at Mycroft AI. We are the open alternative to Siri and Alexa. We know that we can build a great voice experience without storing every single recording, um, every single interaction that a consumer will have with our smart speaker. Um, so we don't do that. We don't store those recordings. We don't store that data. And so there's nothing to be hacked and exposed. There's nothing to data mine and sell to third parties or sell to marketers. Um, so the open source assistant's been out in the world for about three years now. We had a Kickstarter back in 2015 for our Mark One smart speaker. Um, and then shortly thereafter, released a Raspberry Pi image that made it real easy for people to come and start developing for Mycroft. Um, but what we're doing with the Mark II here is taking that software, taking that learning that we've done over the last few years and putting it in a really easy to use, awesome experience consumer package um, that anyone can have in their home, trust that it's respecting them and their privacy, but still get a great experience comparable with Alexa, Google Assistant, Siri or Cortana. So everything in this smart speaker is stored locally? Um, so really there's just not nothing stored. Um, we use a bit of a hybrid approach um, just because of the necessity of doing STT on a, on a powerful engine for a SCT? Speech to text, speech recognition. Okay. Yeah. So um, wakeward spotting happens on the device. Um, that's uh, software that we built called Precise. We send up an audio recording to our servers, transcribe it, and send the text file back down. Once the audio file is done with that, we delete it. Um, we're working to bring that back in service into people's homes um, through an open source personal backend. Um, but then the natural language processing, all the skills on the device, and then you've got a choice between um, an on-device um, voice to respond in or a cloud voice that sounds a little better, is a little bit faster. Nice, nice. So uh, when do you hope to have this to market? Sure. So um, we know that people are going to care less about the date that it's delivered and more about whether or not it works. Um, our goal is the end of Q1, um, but it might be a little later than that. It is still on Indiegogo in demand, so we're working on uh, the crowdfunding aspect and getting a few more orders in. Um, we'd love to have your, uh, your support. That sounds good. So, uh, what are you uh, picturing a price point on this? On Kickstarter, on Indiegogo right now, it's one eighty nine. Um, that's the pre order price. MSRP is going to be one ninety nine. So, is this Linux based? Yeah, yeah. So, we run on Raspbian, we run on Ubuntu, we run on KDE, um, and this one's going to be a little combo of uh, Ubuntu eighteen oh four. Um, plus some, some KDE QT visuals. Okay, so I've got a Raspberry Pi at home. Can I run your uh, open source alternative here? Absolutely. Um, our our PyCraft image works out of the box. Um, you grab a Raspberry Pi, USB microphone, a speaker, monitor, set it up, and you could be running in you know, 20 or 30 minutes. Oh, man, this is, I finally found something to do with my Raspberry Absolutely. Pi. So if people want to learn more about Mycroft AI, where would they go? They can go to mycroft.ai. All right, that's very good. By the way, I was corrected. This is not the Mycroft from uh, uh, from Sherlock Holmes. From Sherlock Holmes. This is from Heinlein, right? Yeah. So transitive property. Um, Mike, the the sentient computer in uh, the Moon is a Harsh Mistress, may, named himself after Mycroft Holmes from the the Conan Doyle. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's all it's all a big happy yeah, family. All, it all comes around. All right, very good. Well, you know the old question: Why did you climb that mountain? And the answer was. Because it was there? That's the way I feel sometimes about some of the technology experiments that I like to do. I love to play with technology, and sometimes I will go to enormous amounts of work to get something to work when there's a simple solution to the same problem. But, you know, what's the fun in that? 
You just heard the interview with uh, Eric Jurgensen from uh, Mycroft AI. Now, imagine this is uh, like an Amazon Echo, except not owned by anybody but you and got privacy in- involved and everything. And like like he said, you can buy a Mycroft One uh, Mark One today for $180, or on pre-order, the Mark Two is uh, $190, but will be $200 in the end. The Mark I requires a microphone and speaker to be attached, but the Mark II will include both of those, and it has a pretty LCD for things like the weather. But what's inside both of those is interesting. They're built on a Raspberry Pi. For those who are unfamiliar, a Raspberry Pi is a single-board computer that sells for an absolute pittance. The rod board these days will run you 35 to 40 bucks. This is a small circuit board. It's like three by two inches with four USB ports, HDMI, a headphone jack, Ethernet, and a micro SD card slot. To make it really elegant, you might want to put a plastic case around it, but I got to warn you, that's going to run you another $5.57 if you buy it on Amazon. Now, people have done really interesting things with Raspberry Pis, from building controllers for their home automation to teaching kids to code. I've been wanting to play with the Raspberry Pi for ages, But like I said in the interview, I couldn't think of what to do with one, so I actually never bought one. Over the holidays, we had an open house to celebrate the completion of our bathroom remodels. Unexpectedly, people brought us gifts. I didn't know that was a thing. Very exciting. We got bottles of wine. We got gorgeous flowers. Three people brought us gin. I have no idea why. It's inexplicable. Someone even brought us giant mugs filled with chocolates from Ghirardelli. But of all these gifts, one was my favorite. You may remember Ed Tobias coming on the show to talk about how he built a web server for his family photos using a Raspberry Pi. I invited him to our open house and he felt it was appropriate to bring a a gift like everybody else thought. He thought it would be appropriate to bring Pi. And I'm sure you figured out by now he meant a Raspberry Pi. Well, when when I heard you could put Mycroft AI on your own Raspberry Pi, I finally knew the project that I needed to do. I started at the Mycroft AI website, which is mycroft.ai. From there, you can buy the Mycroft devices that I described earlier. You can also support the open source project financially or by joining the project and doing work, and you can even invest in the project. There's also a link to build your own Mycroft with a Raspberry Pi, which takes you over to GitHub. Incidentally, the Mycroft software, when running on a Raspberry Pi, is called Pycroft, so that's also awesome. Remember that we're going down a geeky and completely unnecessary path, as I already have an Amazon Echo and a HomePod with Siri, and all of our phones, tablets, Macs, and watches work with Siri. I think my favorite part of this adventure was when I saw the disk image for Pycroft on GitHub with the title, Unstable Image. You know, usually you get the choice of the latest and greatest, which is unstable, versus a stable image, but on Pycroft, they surface you just the unstable image. That's the best, isn't it? So, I downloaded this unstable PyCraft image with great glee. The Raspberry Pi operating system runs off of a micro SD card, as there is no internal storage. While I waited for the image to download, I followed the link uh, they provided to the Raspberry Pi instructions on how to install an operating system image to an SD card at raspberry.org. The instructions of what to do next were surprisingly clear. Usually you run into some real janky, crazy stuff, but this was really easy. They explained that the download would be a zip file, and they gave suggestions on apps for each operating system, Mac, Linux, and Windows, on what tools you might need to use to unzip the file. 
At the Raspberry Pi site, they suggested using Etcher, which is an open-source graphical SD card writing tool that works on all three operating systems. I've never done anything like this before, but Etcher, which was actually called Belena Etcher from Belena.io, made it super easy. You get three big fat buttons in the app. The left says select image and you point to the .img file that you just finished unzipping. The next button says select drive. You point at the micro SD card that you've hopefully mounted before you got this far. The last button says flash with an exclamation point, which was very exciting. When you hit that button, it installs the image onto the card. This took a while, like maybe 10 minutes. But you know, SD cards aren't the fastest medium around and it had to install a couple of gigabytes. Once the SD card has been flashed with its fancy new operating system, it's time to stick it in the Raspberry Pi and see what happens. I created the most beautiful Frankenstein to run this experiment. I plugged an old Dell monitor in via HDMI into the Raspberry Pi to give me a video output. And I used an old Apple extended keyboard with a brand new wired Logitech mouse, both via USB. Interestingly, it didn't work to use the keyboard as a USB hub for the mouse. They both had to be directly plugged in. Well, Steve and I recently test drove the Jaguar I-Pace electric SUV, not because we're in the market, because Pat Dingler got us invited to a special event to do that. So why not? Anyway, I bring that up because after the test drive, they gave each of us a tiny little cylindrical Bluetooth speaker that actually is, has pretty good sound and a really pretty skyline of Los Angeles that lights up when it's turned on. It also has a headphone jack, so Steve suggested I try to use it as the speaker for the Raspberry Pi. Finally, I needed to connect a USB microphone so that Mycroft could hear my commands. They've only tested Mycroft with three specific USB mics, but I didn't own any of them. I first tried my ATR2100, but that didn't work. By the way, they give you the choice of the three they know work, and the fourth choice says, good luck. Anyway, I switched over to my $43 Samsung Meteor mic, which I hadn't used in ages. To be honest, I had trouble finding it. I couldn't figure out where I packed it away with all the moving and painting and remodeling. I finally found it. I gotta tell you, my $36 Samsung Go mic is still at large, so if anybody knows where it is, I'd really appreciate a tip on that. Well, after plugging in an Ethernet cable, my Raspberry Pi doesn't have a Wi-Fi chip, my little Frankenstein was ready to roll. I plugged the micro USB cable Ed included into an iPad's power supply. They say to use a two and a half watt or higher power supply for best results. My screen was instantly filled with wonderfully unintelligible text glob scrolling by that would make a Linux admin's heart sing. When it finished, it told me that it was running Debian Linux, which was pretty interesting. Then it drew in glorious 8-bit graphics the words Mycroft Piecroft. It was glorious. Right below that, it offered to walk me through their guided setup. The other option said, nope, just give me a command line and get out of my way. I went for the guided setup. Maybe someday I'll be in the second camp. So here's the following questions that it asked me and the steps it went through. First, it wanted details of my Wi-Fi connection, which then suggested I plug in Ethernet since I don't have a Wi-Fi card. That's how I figured that part out. It asked me how my speakers are plugged in. Was I using a headphone jack, HDMI audio, or USB audio? It queried me to test the output audio first, giving me a 1 to 9 option for volume, and then hitting T to test. I was thrilled to hear Mycroft say, test, out of my little speaker. The voice is really deadpan. Well, next it went through the audio input. This is where my first microphone choice failed. I had to reboot and start over with the second mic to get to this point, and it worked. It asked me to make some noise, and then after I stopped, it played back the recording I'd made. That was very exciting. 
Finally, after pressing the correct key to indicate my mic was working, it asked me if I wanted to turn on auto updates or was I a core developer who wanted to manage the updates. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with auto updates. The next question messed me up the first time I ran this configuration tool. It said that by default, Raspbian, the OS in Raspberry Pi, does not require a password to perform actions as root, otherwise known as sudo. It asked me if I wanted to have a sudo password. Of course, I said yes. I gave it a password and I immediately entered that password into my 1Password vault. After I finished all of the configuration, though, I tried my sudo password and it said, nope, you don't have it right. That's not it. Well, I wasn't sure where this would mess me up along the line. So I actually reformatted the SD card, refreshed it with Pycroft, or reflashed it, I should say, with Pycroft. And I went through all of this again. And this time I did not add a sudo password. I'll have to work on that later. The next question was easier. It said, did I want a different login password than the default? Why, yes, please. Finally, it told me if I needed to run this setup again, I could simply type mycroft-setup-wizard and reboot. But wait, one more thing. It read out a six-digit code, and it said I needed to go to mycroft.ai to register the device. The first time I did this, it would never recognize the code, even though I triple-checked it as Mycroft repeated the code once every minute. I even had Steve listen to it and watch me type it in to see if I was making a mistake, and it said, nope, that code just doesn't look right. Well, that was another reason I ended up starting over and reformatting the card. But the second time, I was able to make an account and enter my code, and it worked. All right, time to finally try out Mycroft. Nope, time to run auto-updates which is pretty much like watching paint dry, only slightly less interesting. But hey, I'm the woman who has a coffee cup that needed a firmware update, so what am I complaining about? But finally, it was ready. I said, hey, Mycroft, and I heard a delightful little bloop from my speaker. I then said, what time is it? And it gave me the time in central time. I'm in Pacific time. All right. I said, sing me a song. And Mycroft said, I'm a little bit nervous about my voice, but here goes. And it went on to sing my favorite things from The Sound of Music in that most deadpan voice that you've ever heard. It was awesome. Now, he doesn't always sing the same thing, and he doesn't always apologize for his voice, but it's always hilarious. Let me play for you a little demonstration of the audio. I'm going to ask him a bunch of different questions, and you'll hear how it sounds. I do want to warn you, there are some long gaps here because Mycroft is not the fastest digital assistant. Hey, Mycroft. What is the weather right now? Sunday's forecast is 26 for a high and 15 for a low. Hey, Mycroft. What is 26 centigrade in Fahrenheit? Seventy-eight point eight F degrees Fahrenheit. Hey, Mycroft. Sing me a song. Here I go. And did those feet in ancient time walk upon England? Hey, Mycroft. Stop. Green. Hey, Mycroft. Stop. Hey, Mycroft. 
How tall is Jerry Lewis? Six feet. Hey, Mycroft, when is the Super Bowl? February 3rd, 2019. Hey, Mycroft. Thank you. No problem. Well, uh, I do want to give two other comments here. Most of the noise you hear in the background is actually the sound of my two Drobos going. So that is not the Raspberry Pi making that noise. I was sitting right above the uh, the Drobos when I was recording that. But uh, you can see it did okay on the questions. And um, but it does take it some time to send the question up and figure out what the uh, uh, what the voice synthesis is. Remember, they said he said text to speech is on the web, so it's going up, doing that text to speech, then sending the the Uh, the answer down. So it does take a little while. Now, at one point, I bumped a key on the keyboard and suddenly I was in a command line interface or a CLI as the cool kids call it. This made it really fun because when I made requests, I could actually see it interpret what I was saying first and then I could see it type the answer on screen and then finally it speaks out loud. That long lag between it understands a question when it understands a question until it speaks the answer I think with the CLI, I was able to see it was the speech synthesis itself that accounted for a lot of that lag. So, you know, I mean, it is a Raspberry Pi. It's not a super powerful uh, machine it's running on. Now, I also found it interesting that you can interact with Mycroft from the command line interface typing in questions. That's something people have been asking for in Siri for a very long time. Now that I had Minecraft running perfectly on my Raspberry Pi, I was able to disconnect the keyboard, mouse, and monitor. They're only necessary during the initial setup. It makes this far less of a Frankenstein. Now it's just a little clear box with a circuit board inside, a speaker, and a microphone hanging out of it. Kind of still a mess, but uh, I love it. I have to say this whole project was a great deal of fun, but sadly it only took me the better part of a day to get it working. I was kind of hoping to have lots of trouble getting this to work so that I could torture Ed with endless questions. By the way, I named my uh, Pycroft Ed. (laughs) Anyway, since Pycroft is flashed onto its own memory card, I can now easily swap it back to running the regular Raspbian OS and learn how to program with Scratch and do other fun things in that Linux operating system. Or guess what else? Mycroft can be installed on a desktop. It's all through GitHub, so I'm sure I can mess things up with that. Hey, today during lunch, I heard an ad from IBM for their AI service. Do you remember what it's called? It's called Watson. I think that's why this AI is called Mycroft. Well, now let's switch gears and hear an interview for a product we've actually already purchased. Well, Steve has had a uh, dash cam on his Christmas list for years and years and years. And I finally sat down, did a bunch of research, and the camera I chose for him was the Owl Cam. And I'm here with John Michael Hauer from Owl to talk about the Owl Cam. Thanks for having me, and it's exciting to know that you're already a product owner. So, what makes the Owl Cam a, a unique dash cam? So what makes it unique is kind of our, our edge network. What it is, it's more than just a piece of hardware. It's a, it's a smart dual-facing camera that is able to detect events in and around your car. And then it sends that data to our AI-based cloud system. And that cloud system is constantly analyzing that data and determining when do I need to tell them about 
the the bump there car just got in the parking lot or did I just detect broken glass do I need to send HD video immediately to their phone it, it's processing all this stuff in real time and using the 4G network to communicate with the owner and letting them know what's happening in their car and around their car in real time so this has a 4G uh, network already built in a cellular service it does yeah every camera comes with one year of our subscription service and that's the 4G LTE video service and what that does is it allows it to talk to you let you know what's going on and it also allows you to check in on your car so you can you can be across the country here at this event and and know like oh my car is safe i can see what's happening inside outside and and i can even stream video on my phone in real time yeah that's kind of crazy this is sort of like an extension of the uh, quantified self right we want everything measured we want to be able to watch everything but it has been really nice for steve he's been able to see what's going on with this car in a parking structure that you know maybe you don't trust so much yeah, I mean, our objective has been to prevent and protect by making security mobile and smart. Security that can go where you go. So no longer does it just have to be at your front door. Now when you take off on the road, which happens to be a really dangerous place to be, you know that something is looking out for you and protecting you and has your back if you ever get into a situation where you need video proof. Yeah, I kind of wish we had this when we got hit and run. That would have been nice. We did eventually catch the guy, but it was a little trickier to get that. So now talk to me about the video quality on this. So the forward-facing camera that's going to shoot down the roadway shoots at 1440, and the inside camera shoots at 720. The reason is outside we want to be able to zoom in so you can see that street sign, you can see that license plate, and catch that fine detail that you need uh, with all those moving objects outside your car. Right, and Ed, you said it was uh, 120 degrees? 120 FOV. We really like that FOV because it doesn't distort at the edge. Field of view. Yeah. We, a lot of times uh, on, on products that have really wide FOVs, uh, it gets distorted and like, yes, you can see wider, but is that video quality good enough to do anything with? Can you take that to the police officer, to your insurance company and say, look at that license plate or look at this person around my car? It's really important to us to have usable, crisp video uh, that can actually help you in these unfortunate situations. Right. So... Um what, what's the value of an inside camera? I, I was confused at first. I thought it might be back-facing that I would see if somebody rear-ended me, but it's really to look at the inside of the car, right? Well, yeah. We happen to leave our cars in a lot of vulnerable places. You go out to dinner, you go to that movie, you're in the shopping mall, especially around like the holidays. People are looking for that back seat that's full of presents for your family members. And our camera is able to detect when an event happens from the moment the car feels an impact and start sending video right to the cloud so you have video evidence if someone does bust into your car and you know in real time that it's happening. Wow, that's crazy. And it's taking pictures of the people? So, yeah, we have a catch net. So if someone breaks into your car and goes right for the camera and rips it out, uh, it actually is sending still images to the cloud right away. So you get 15 to 20 still images of that suspect breaking into your car. It also has a super capacitor. So after they pull that, it's still sending data to the cloud for up to another seven or eight seconds. Oh, that's cool. Now, one of the things I really liked about this, we really hesitated to get a dash cam because we didn't want wires hanging down, going into a cigarette lighter, that kind of thing. But the insulation of this allowed us to, to uh, it goes down at the bottom of your window in the center, and then you shove the, the wire, it comes with a little spudger to shove the wire down into the... Uh, into the gasket along the edge, and then it goes into the uh, onboard diagnostics port. Yeah, well, I mean, at our company, we're all car nuts, and we love our cars, and 
we only want to put things in our cars that look beautiful, just like the cars themselves. So the ID and the design and how we hide the cables and make it look sleek and integrated has been really important to us. And just with the pedigree of our, our founders, uh, Andy Hodge, our CEO, he was a lead engineer on the original iPod. Uh, the original iPhone. So oh, wow, you, you could say ID matters uh, within the walls of our company. Yeah, that's it. Definitely is a beautiful camera. It looks really good. It comes. Uh, well, it was really funny when we got it all done. We had all this extra cable down to next to the OB, uh, OBD port, and she's like, "Well, I got to go get some tie wraps." And then we're we're messing around in the box, and it's like, "What is this thing right here?" It turned out, of course, it was a nice tie wrap for it. Yeah, I mean, man, if I could talk through all the hours we spent of doing practice installs, handing them to our family members, watching them do it seeing where they got hung up where they could make it more sleek or or just a smoother process like that attention to detail uh, helped us to create a beautiful product that's super easy to install we've had people at eight years old and 80 years old all able to install them in just a couple minutes yeah yeah it really i mean we take our time because we argue over who gets to do stuff that's the only hard part it was his christmas present so i let him do most of it but really really great camera where would people find it You can find it on our website, owlcam.com, and we also sell them on amazon.com. And they also have uh, bundle packages sometimes. We get two. If you get two, we just launched multi-camera features, so now you can manage up to three cameras from a single device, and we sell two cameras at a discounted rate. Now, the only thing I want you to do beyond this is I want to be able to watch his camera on my phone, but you can only watch it from one phone. It's coming. We have sent that feature request in as well. We hear you loud and clear. It's like I installed the app, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't get to play either. Mm-hmm. Yes, but, hey, privacy is really important to us. So one thing we are going to uh, keep for certain is only the driver gets to decide who sees their driving video, no matter what. Oh, okay. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll be checking you out yeah. and playing with the new camera. Thank you. All right. Last but definitely not least is one of the coolest little gadgets that we saw at CES. I bought one as soon as I got home, and I cannot wait until it gets here. Now, I'd hate to admit I ever looked at a Facebook ad because we never do that. But I saw a product that I've now seen on the table live here at CES. This is a company called Ampere, and I'm with one of the co-founders, uh, Chase Larson. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's been a really fun event. Yeah, so... You guys are into uh, cheat charging, right? Uh, we are. Uh, so this product that we're showcasing here today is called Unravel, uh, which is a three 10-watt wireless charging solution. Um, so that has three 10-watt wireless charging coils that can charge any Qi charging enabled device. So I'm going to do some stuff for the audio people. Right now we're seeing a, a rectangular thing that's got three bright purple circles on it. And it looks like it's hinged. He's taking the phone off. He's yeah. So as you can see, we kind of did a unique design uh, for wireless chargers where it's stackable and foldable. So if you only have room for one device on your desk, it folds into a single stack. Um, this is also the position that we use for travel. So you can put it up in your travel case. Oh, it comes in a nice little fold-up box. And Look take it that. with you. So right now it's three thicknesses thick. This thing is maybe an inch and a half tall, maybe three inches on a side. Yep. Um, and then the other position is this FaceTime friendly, we call it, ah. where you can watch your device, you can watch a movie, you can chat. So it's got these little flip out feet that uh, that let you set your phone down on it. Yep. That's nice. Oh, and they kind of snap into place. That yep. feels good. All right. And then the final position is what we call flat. Uh, So you can charge three devices at once. So one, two, and what's truly unique is that it can charge an Apple Watch as well. Hey, I thought you couldn't do that. Until now. 
Uh, okay, so that that's is pretty slick. You can charge an Apple Watch. And that same panel isn't devoted to Apple Watches. You can charge any other charging device on that panel as well. Oh, okay. So you could move the uh, the iPhone over there. Yep. Can you? Is that the only one that does the, yeah. uh, so the we, watch? Yeah, we can do that in multiple panels, but we figured it was best just to use, do it in one because we don't see someone having three Apple Watches. Uh, yeah, you don't know my family, right? <laughs> so, well. so when it's folded up into the uh, into the travel shape, it's it's a uh, a nice little triangle, which is cute looking. Yeah, I'm going to sh- demonstrate that for us here. Yeah. So this travel shape. Um, another neat thing about the travel aspect of it is the adapter that we use is the exact same as a MacBook adapter. So we sell our own version of it, but if you have a MacBook, then you don't need to bring any other cables with you. So it's USB-C? It's a USB-C uh, PD. Oh, so whether power you have delivery. A, power delivery. So whether you have a 61, an 87, 45, you can use your own Type-C PD MacBook adapter. You know, I don't think anybody realized when USB-C came out that how happy it was going to make about the whole cable management. Oh, thing. man. I accidentally charged my MacBook Pro using my USB-C charger for my 12.9-inch iPad Pro. Worked just fine. Took a while, but it did it. A little bit slower, but I mean... My girlfriend and I. My girlfriend and I have been traveling now for three weeks. Uh, I'm based in China, and we have no cables with us. Just our MacBook adapter and an unravel, and we can do two phones and an Apple Watch every night. That is fantastic. So the product is called Unravel. Unravel, and they can find it at Uh, UnravelTech.co. Or if you search Unravel, you can find our uh, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, uh, Facebook, Instagram. We try to be out. Hey, we found you on Facebook yeah. after all. I know. No, I never look at <laughs> Facebook ads. It's not possible. <laughs> so um, when will this be for sale? It's for sale now. Oh, it is. Yeah. And how, what's our price point here? Um, MSRP, $99. Uh, we're still in uh, early adopter phase for $69. Ooh, early adopter, $69. Don't, get, don't delay. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. This yeah, is very it's cool. a pleasure. Nice to meet you. Well, after we were done recording with Ampere, I happened to notice their artwork and they showed AirPods being charged on the Unravel Qi charger. I asked Chase about it, thinking that was misleading because it's not possible. He kind of smirked and he explained that they've designed a case that you put your AirPods into. So it's a case within a case that mates with the lightning connector. Then their case has a Qi charging coil inside it. Isn't that brilliant? Just kind of like a sleeve that you put on it has that real thin Qi charging coil. And I mean, you know, okay, sure, your AirPods case would be slightly larger, but maybe they wouldn't be so easy to lose if they were a little bit bigger. I looked on the Ampere website and I didn't see any mention of it. So I plan on reaching out to Chase and asking him when that might be available because I am going to buy that day one, day one, day one. I am so tired of plugging in my AirPods. I can't live like this. Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. Do not forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com. You can email Steve and tell him how much you love his videos at steve at podfeet.com. You can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, anything you're looking for, anything good starts with podfeet.com. Looking to become a Patreon? Podfeet.com slash Patreon. I'm going to say that again, podfeed.com slash Patreon. Want to join the community and chat with other uh, other friends of the show? Go to podfeed.com slash Facebook or podfeed.com slash Slack and go to the page you want to go to. Want to join the live chat room? Podfeed.com slash chat. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeed.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.